Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Well, it is good to be with you all this morning. I am so glad we can gather together uh, as one body this morning uh, for one service. Uh, I hope you all had a, a wonderful Christmas spending time with the people that you love, and welcome to Youth Pastor Sunday. Um, they, I feel like there's probably a lot of youth guys out there that are, that are preaching this morning, so uh, my heart goes out to all of you all. Um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's right after Christmas, uh, the lead pastor just got done prepping for Christmas and doing all those sermons, so Ryan, you get a well-deserved break this morning. Um, thank you, and uh, yeah, so maybe there's not a lot of people here today. I don't know, it looks pretty full, so uh, yeah. But seriously, I'm, I'm excited to get up here uh, this morning, and uh, we just finished a, a great four-week Advent series looking at the traditional words in Advent, hope, joy, peace, and love, but through the lens of promise and fulfillment. And now today we're going to be talking about, as you see up here, Psalms 1 and 2, and we're doing a little two-week series where we're going to be looking at the first two chapters and the last two chapters of Psalms. So uh, obviously today, Psalms 1 and 2, and then Bren is going to be up here next week doing Psalms 149 and 150. And the hope is that at the end of these two weeks... Uh, we can see that the Psalms were purposely put together to help us know our God better and how to worship him completely. So, I want us to take a moment to have each one of us think about the first time in your life that you realized we live in a broken world. So I want all of us to think uh, what that might be. This might be harder for some of the older people in the audience, but, but try to think back to when you were younger and the first time we realized we were uh, living in a broken world. Uh, maybe this is seeing parents get divorced at a really young age. Maybe it, it's conflict between family members. Or maybe uh, it's as simple as your, your friend stealing something from you at lunch or pushing you down on the playground. Uh, whatever it is, I want us to think about this moment in our lives where we first realized we lived in a broken world. And then on a more positive note, I want us to also think about the first time you remember experiencing real happiness. When was the first time you remember experiencing real happiness? For me, I think I was about five years old. I don't know. My parents are here, so they might be able to correct me on this afterwards. But I got asked to be in my mom's cousin's wedding and I really did not want to, to be in this wedding. And I got asked to be the ring bearer, and I, I, I did not want to do it. But my parents bribed me with this awesome rescue hero battle station. <laughs> and I, I remember that convinced me to do it, and I cried all the way down the aisle while carrying the rings. But I got home, and I got to play with that awesome rescue hero battle station. And that was the first time I remember experiencing happiness. So I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to jump in. (laughs) Dear Lord, thank you for uh, this morning. Again, thank you that we get the chance to uh, gather together as one body. Um, Please open our hearts for for what you have to say to us. Um, And just thank you for your goodness. 
In your name we pray. Amen. So something that I think I've, I've grown a lot in during my many, many years alive on this earth is the ability to ask for help. I don't know if this is being like an oldest child, but growing up, I felt like it was kind of like a hit to the pride when I had to ask for help. Like it, it was some sort of weakness if I had to, to ask for help. I was, you know, growing, like being the oldest child, I, I thought I had to have everything put together. Um, but if you know me now, especially if you're one of the youth leaders, you know that I am not afraid to ask for help at all. Um, and, and I think this is best illustrated, at least in my childhood, in, in this story. Um, and it's about baseball, shocker. Um, but when, you are, when, you're, when you're about 10 to 12 years old growing up and you're playing baseball, the, the most important and impressive thing you can do is hit a home run. That's like that's that's the biggest deal. I don't know if Evan Olson is up here this morning, but no, he's not. But he he'll agree with me. I know this. He's about the age that I was during the story, and it, it is such a big deal to hit a home run when you're when you're that age. Um, and I was I was playing and going through this stretch where I was hitting a lot of pop ups, and pop ups is like the worst thing that you can do in baseball. So I was really struggling and trying to figure out why, and I remember asking my dad, who was one of my coaches, I remember asking him for help, and he was like, well, you're, you're, you're dipping your shoulder, and you're swinging up on the ball, and I was like, yeah, see, dad, you're wrong. Um, I've been watching a bunch of highlights uh, on, on YouTube or on, on TV, and that's what all the, the, the Major League Baseball players do, like, they're swinging up on the ball, and he's like, no, it's, it's kind of different, like, they're they're trying to hit it on a line drive, and then it just, you know, they're bigger and stronger, so it's easier for it to go out. And I was like, I, I don't know. I think you're wrong. So we kind of went back and forth, and, and I was pretty con- convinced I was right. And I think probably a few days later, we go to practice, and I asked my hitting coach or, or my head coach the same question, and he was like, well, you're, you're dipping your shoulder. <laughs> exactly what my dad told me. <laughs> but before we, so before we dive into chapters one and two, of Psalms, I want to give a little bit of background on the Psalms. So if, if you know your Bible, or maybe you, you've read through the Psalms recently, um, you know that the Psalms are made up of, of five books. And there's a lot of debate and to, to the structure of how these are broken up, or the significance of how these are broken up, but most scholars believe that the Psalms are broken up into five books, because back when, when, when they were written, uh, they didn't have like the same books that we have today, like where they have the bindings in them. And, and so they wrote the, the, the Bible on, on scrolls. And what they believe is that like since the Psalms were so long that they got to the end of the scroll, and then they just called that one of the books. And then they went to the next one and wrote them. So the, the, the point of this is that all five books are to be one book. So that is why we're going to look at Psalms 1 and 2 as an introduction to the complete 150 chapters of Psalms instead of looking at them all individually. So we obviously all also know that the uh, Psalms are, are songs or poetry, but that doesn't mean that there isn't uh, a significance to how they were arranged and that they were arranged in a particular order that is meaningful and that God designed them to point back to point us back to him and his glory. The, the Psalms are meant to contrast our way of thinking with God's way of thinking. Because as Christians, we live at the intersection between hope and hurt. And the Psalms are meant to help us help navigate that. 
So, Psalms 1 gives us the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. It, it talks about the Lord's authority over us as individuals. And then Psalms 2 is going to tell us the, the consequences for the way of the wicked, the consequences for living in the way of the wicked, and what happens when a society lives in the way of the wicked. It talks about God's authority over the nations and our need for a savior. And most of the Bible is, is either wisdom or prophecy. And I think Psalms 1 and 2 uh, illustrate that perfectly. Chapter 1 is wisdom. Uh, it talks about how God wants his people to live. Again, the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. Um, and God obviously wants his people to, to live in the way of the righteous. But, but that's kind of what it's doing in Psalms 1. And then in Psalms 2 it, it is prophecy in terms of foretelling the truth, and it's God's perspective on what is true of the world. So, let's start with chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So this is where we're given the two types of people, the way of the righteous and the wicked. And the righteous man is the one that follows God's law. This is, you know, following his instruction, his commandments day and night, meditates them day and night all the time. This isn't a, a, a checklist of things that if we do enough of or um, if we, we do a certain amount, then that means God is pleased at us. No, this is the word of God. And as we see in John 1, the word of God is Jesus. So through the word of God, we see and know him. This can be easy for us as, as Christians to see these first two books, or first two verses of Psalms. And, you know, we've already seen Jesus, the Savior King, and we can look at this and go, oh, wait, no, like, this doesn't apply to me already two verses into a 150-chapter book, um, we can look at these, and, and we look at verses in, in the New Testament in Romans 7 or Galatians 2 that tell us that the law is dead. And so we see this, and we're like, oh, we, we don't need that. We think of maybe the Pharisees when we think of the law, and like, the, no, the law is, is bad. We, we, we do not need the law anymore because we have Jesus. However, we forget verses like Romans 7, 7 that say, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Or Romans 6, 1 through 2, that say, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? God's commandments throughout the entirety of Scripture are good. And God says that a truly righteous person will strive to follow them because they are for our good. It goes on in verse 3 to say that the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. When a tree has a constant supply of water, it bears fruit. And I like this, this analogy so much because it bears fruit not for itself, but for others. 
And it's similar to when the, the faithful prosper. It's not for themselves, but it succeeds in bringing a benefit to others. And we see the same imagery used in, in Jeremiah chapter 17, talking about the one who trusts in the Lord. It says, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We follow God's commandments for us not because they are not only for our good, but for the good of others. We follow his commandments because doing so produces fruit in our lives and keeps us abiding in him. And I don't know about you all, but I, I notice this in myself all the time. Like when I am staying close to God and following his commandments of me, I tend to see myself and my relationships with others become stronger as well. I become less worried about myself and, and more caring and loving towards others, which is the kind of person that I want to be. Now, the other side is, is, is the wicked. We just talked a lot about the righteous and what God says about the righteous, but the other side is the wicked. In verse 4, the wicked are called the chaff that the wind drives away. Basically saying the wicked are useless. I, when I think of useless, I think of like the old uh, iPhone 4 chargers that like nothing works on those anymore. Um, I, I think maybe we have like an iPad downstairs that still uses them. But other than that, literally nothing works on them. And so not only are we told that those who choose the way of the wicked are useless, but we also see how God deals with those who choose the path of the wicked. It says in verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows who are his. He knows those who do not know the Lord, who do not follow his commandments, and the way of the wicked will not be with God. We are called to walk in the way of the Lord. So Psalms chapter 1, we are told how to live for the Lord by following his word and his commandments. And now in chapter 2, he gives us another way to worship him. So Psalms 2 is, is, is interesting. Psalms 2 is the most quoted to or alluded to psalm in the New Testament, which is kind of interesting because we're, we're about to read Psalms 2, and, and this might seem kind of strange to us because when we see this, this, when we read the Psalms, we, we kind of like the, the, the visions of the, the shepherd and, and the good shepherd, and we want the, the things that make us feel good when we read the Psalms. But the people of the Old Testament, the, the reason why this is the most quoted to or alluded to Psalm in the New Testament is, is the people of the Old Testament were way more concerned with the brokenness of the world, the governing and, and, and the mess of the world and the rule that they were under and their personal need for a savior. Uh, a couple weeks ago in, in youth group, uh, Cody gave, gave a message on hope, and it, it was really cool because he gave us this uh, story of a, of a family that was living in the time uh, before Jesus was born, in the time of the Old Testament. And it was really cool to, to, to listen to him describe um, the, the mess of the rule that they were under and their, their need for a savior. 
this psalm is about perspective, about God's reign and rule and how God will defeat his enemies. It points us to God's kingly Messiah, who we now know as Jesus. And think about the people in the Old Testament who did not know Jesus. They're singing this psalm, Psalm chapter 2, as a worship song. The psalm gave them lots of hope. And I think it, it's interesting. We, we just you know, went through the Christmas season where we're, we're looking at Jesus being born and, and I think this psalm challenges us to lift our eyes to Jesus as king and ruler of the world. Not just the baby that he was born in. But this psalm should give us hope because Jesus is the only one that saves and sustains us. So let's look at chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2 starts by saying, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the, his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So I'm sure we can all agree that we, we live in a broken world. Think back to what you thought earlier. Think back to when you knew that we lived in a broken world. This world has rebelled against God. And I love how these psalms are ordered. Like we just read Psalm 1, which says, okay, here's the way of the righteous, here's the way of the wicked. Psalm 2, look around, you failed. <laughs> like we live in a broken world. Uh, and his response to this is so cool. So verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord will hold them in desertion. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I love that. He laughs. He sits up in heaven. He sees the brokenness of the world, and he laughs. And he's not just sitting up there laughing because he doesn't care. I, I think that's so important. He doesn't, he's not sitting up in the heavens laughing because he doesn't care. It, it, it's not because the, wicked's, or the wicked world or the way of the wicked doesn't hurt him, but it's because he is king. He does not need to fear us. He is king. And what I think is so cool about this king is that this king, you know, the, the immediate connection for these people might have been David. But what's so cool about this is that we now know the king as Jesus, the, the, the good and perfect king. And the king is not just God, but we can trace this from David to Jesus. And this was that the plan in the beginning of the Psalms was to trace this from David to Jesus. His response to the way of the wicked in verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He doesn't come down and wipe out the people who have turned against him. Like maybe the, 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 the Jews in back in the day were, were hoping that he would. But here is what he says he'll do in verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. We are, are all his. Everything is his and everything 
is his, every one is his, and those who turn away from him and, and sin against him unrepentantly are going to be met, as it says here, with the rod of iron. The brokenness we see in the world, the, the first time you remember knowing that the world is broken, we can remember that God is king. He is who we, we fear. He will deal with the sins of the world, along with ours too. And the last few verses of Psalms 2 are to his people. It say, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry, and you will perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those are all who take refuge in him. So even after we just talked about following God's commandments and how important that is in Psalms 1, he ends the instructions to the, he ends the introductions to the Psalms by calling us to come back to Jesus, to kiss the son, to serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling, to love our king. And even though we have sinned against him, we come back to him in his great love and his great mercy, and his wrath goes away. What good, good news that is. So what do Psalms 1 and 2 teach us? I believe that these two chapters set the stage for what is to come in the rest of Psalms. As we talked about earlier, the order of these is purposeful. I think the main message is that we seek the wisdom of God through his word in chapter 1 and through his son in chapter 2. It reminds me of, of the short series that we went through here at Rev in, in November, that knowing our God and his son and his word more is why we worship, why we gather, and why we witness together. That's because of the joy and the hope that we receive from him. We see many other connections to this theme throughout the book of Psalms. The entire chapter of Psalm 119 is a great example. It's 176 verses, uh, and I'm going to start by reading the whole thing right now. No, I'm just kidding. Just, uh, just, chapter, or just verses 1 through 3. Uh, Blessed are those whose way is blameless and who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Psalm 19, 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And then finally, Psalms 110, 5 through 7 says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute final judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. We see in this book of Psalms many connections all 
that all start at the beginning of this book in chapters 1 and 2. We get such a beautiful picture of what is to come in this book that they aren't just a bunch of songs randomly put together, but a purposeful order that helps us understand what God desires from his followers. For us to know and to follow his commandments and for us to know and to follow his son. Going back to that, that story of me trying to hit a home run earlier, I love using sports and especially baseball as analogies because baseball, is, it's, it's often called a game of failure. And I think that it has taught me how to fail in, in life and to properly get back up on track and deal with that failure. And, and this is often like us as followers of Christ. When we are trying to follow him, even though we fail while striving to be like Christ, but maybe we rely too much on ourselves, make judgment calls on what we think God would do or make big deals, as we, we've talked about before, on, on second and third order issues, because we want our version of God to, to be the correct version of God. However, we see in these first two chapters that knowing and following God's Son and commandments is the true way to gain wisdom and to know our God. As we've talked about in the past, knowing God leads to praising him. And I want to close today with one of my favorite psalms of praise. It comes from Psalms 8. And this reminds us that all of the psalms are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. What God promised in Psalms 1 and 2 are true. And he has fulfilled his promises. And our praise to him in Psalms 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also all the beasts of the field, the birds in the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along to the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, um, thank you for, for all that you have done for us. Thank you that, um, that you have given us commandments to follow, Lord, that you have given us um, commandments that are good, Lord, that, that we uh, can follow and strive to be more like you, Lord, but also thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for fulfilling uh, all the promises that you made Thank you that we can, we can trust and be comforted and have hope in the fact that you fulfill your promises and that you will fulfill all the promises you have made. Thank you for your son and 
I pray that we continue to praise him and all that he is worthy of being praised for. In your name I pray, amen.